Amen. Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 8. Let's go ahead and read it together. If you brought your Bible, please open it. If you have an app, uh, please read along. Uh, Just make sure you're not playing Angry Birds instead of reading. And it says in verse 8, And when Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God, But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now, if you weren't here last week, we looked at the difference between the baptism of John the Baptist, which was into repentance, turn from your sin, and Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And last week we saw these men that were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them and strengthened them to be witnesses. And As Paul continues to preach and as he continues to share the gospel, there are people that are hardened to that word and they do not believe. Now, when you preach the gospel and you're sharing the love of Jesus with somebody, you're sharing the gospel, you're sharing the truths from the word of God, there are two types of reactions that will happen. Because the word of God is a light shining in the areas that are dark. And either you will come to the light and say, yes, I have sinned, I have done things that are wrong. Or you will retract and you will go into deeper depths of darkness. And this is absolutely the case with these people that we're reading about today. Because when Jesus convicts us and the Holy Spirit works and convicts us of our sin, and we accept that, then it is something that causes us to repent or to turn from sin. Uh, repentance is a, is a Christian word for uh, turning 180 degrees away from your sin to leave evil to follow Jesus. And so if we have the light of Christ in our life and we're like, oh, I've sinned, I've done something that's wrong, it's against God, our reaction, if it's the correct one, should be, oh God, please forgive me of my sin. I have done what's wrong. The other Reaction completely antithetical to that is the hardening of your heart. I don't need forgiveness. Who are you to tell me that I need to change? I like what I'm doing. I'm going to continue this way and nobody's going to stop me. Hardening your heart. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, the author of Hebrews says this Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Isn't that an amazing passage of Scripture? Where he says, encourage one another. I mean, that's why you guys come to church to be encouraged and to be built up. Maybe you don't have godly Christian friends that you work with or that maybe you're roommates with or that you have friends with, uh, that you're friends with. But we can come to this place and be encouraged. But he says, encourage one another while it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin, oh, it's not that bad. It's okay. You can keep doing it. And your heart gets hardened. When you know what is right and you continue to do what is wrong, you might think that it's not that big of a deal, but in actuality, it's a very big deal. Because as you continue doing what's wrong, you become hardened to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You become hardened. And unbelief causes our heart to be hardened and to fall away from the living God. And the some that are mentioned in in this verse are these that did not believe and were so hardened against the gospel that they spoke evil 
of it. In the book of Exodus, you know the story of Moses, remember? Moses uh, saw that burning bush out in the wilderness and the Lord told him to go because he's seen the, the, the evil that's happening in the land of Egypt and the people, his people need to be set free. And Moses came marching into Egypt, you remember, presented himself to Pharaoh and he's like, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Remember that? Well, hey, you'll be surprised when you get to heaven and Moses talks just like that. He said, let my people go. And you remember what happened. Well, if you don't, in, in, in five particular places, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart against the word of God. So the word of God came and it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. No, I will not let those people go. No, I will not let them go. No, I will not listen to the word of God. No, I will not obey the word of God. But there's actually an additional, an additional five times that it is referenced where it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so you'll see this, this, this terrible, terrible, terrible progression in somebody's life when they harden their heart against God. See, when you hear the Word of God and when we hear the truth and we reject it over and over and over again, there is a point, and only God knows this point, where the Lord will say, okay, if that's the decision that you want to make, and if that's the way you want to go, then go ahead. And you're set in that place. And as I said, I don't know where that place exactly is. I don't know when that place comes. All I do know is that it does come. And that's why we need to be careful that if we are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, conviction is just basically saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to change. But if we reject it, we are in danger of falling away from God because not only the deceitfulness of sin, but because our heart gets hardened. Hardened. Rejecting the word of God over and over again. And this can happen in the life of a believer where they become hardened to the things of God. And they even find themselves doing the things that they thought they would never ever do. The things that they used to be ugh, like repulsed by. They find themselves practicing and rationalizing as if they're okay. We need to be careful of that. We need to be aware of the deceitfulness of sin. These men here in verse 9, it says they were hardened and they did not believe and they spoke evil of the way. This lifestyle of following Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. Some people today have a problem with Christianity and they say, well, Christianity is too narrow because you have to only believe in Jesus in order to get to heaven. We don't like those Christians because they believe that kind of stuff. They've written that down. You know, you can only believe in Jesus in order to get to heaven. But, you know, the thing is this. Christians didn't come up with that. The church didn't create that. Jesus said specifically, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man gets to the Father, goes to the Father, can come to the Father, can go to heaven, but through me. Hardened. So it says, Paul departed from these hard-hearted men and reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus, who was a philosopher. And in Ephesus, where Paul is at, it was really, really hot during the day. Very hot. Just a little, little bit of uh, some history and geography here for you. Where he was at, most men and women would work until 11 a.m. And then they would stop. 
They work split shifts. So they work in the morning till 11 a.m. and they would take a break till about 5 p.m. and then work in the evening because it was so hot during the day. Tremendous heat. And so Paul, no doubt, would be, as you know, he was a tent maker. He worked in the morning, building his tents, and then 11 a.m., take a break, go to the school of Tyrannus, and reason with the philosophers and the students and talk to them about who Jesus was, and then head back to work at 5 p.m. And this, it says in verse 10, he continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. What an amazing thing is happening here. All who are in Asia hear the gospel. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? What a tremendous work that's happening in, in this region. I mean, we talk about the 1040 window, you know, that, that, that area uh, on, the, on the maps of the world, you know, that, that, that are the most hostile towards Christianity and, and, and where Christianity can't be preached and all these things. And Paul, where he is at, is in the middle of that area. All of Asia hearing the gospel. Man, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, followers of Jesus. And Paul was fulfilling that very commission. And it says in verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs, verse 12, or aprons, aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, faith is a very powerful thing. So here's, here's Paul. I mean, he's a tent maker, so he's got his sweatbands. You know, uh, way before the 80s had sweatbands, Paul did, you know, on each wrist, headband, you know, the aprons, you know, the, to cover his clothing as he's, as he's working. And, and people would take these sweatbands, lay them on people, and they would get healed. Faith is a powerful thing, yet sometimes we don't act upon our faith, and other times there's a point of contact for us, for our faith to be used. Now, many times... If we just be realistic here, we don't believe that God could do something that seems strange or out of the ordinary to us. I don't think God would really work like that. I mean, that just seems really weird to me. I mean, how does that happen? There was a point of contact where faith was released from these people being healed and delivered from all of these different infirmities. They believed if only that man of God, Paul's sweatband, could be laid on me, I know I would be healed. I mean, this isn't unique to Paul in Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, th- verses 20 through 22. As Jesus was on his way to heal a religious ruler's daughter, it says, Suddenly a woman who had flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. A point of contact. Something that that just ignites faith inside of us. Where I believe this. I know that God can heal me. I know that God can do this work. We studied this some months back, but Acts chapter 5. Verses 14 through 15, it says, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, listen to this, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. 
Man, you think this is insane. This is crazy. See, our difficulty in believing God can work in crazy ways is because of our limited understanding of God's power. And that doesn't make sense to me. So God obviously doesn't do things that don't make sense to me. Right? Wrong. Wrong. So many times we project our own limitations onto God. Well, you know, I wouldn't do it that way, so that's probably not the way that God would do it. No, wrong. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are mysterious. We know that they're different, and they're not the way we would think that they would be done, but they get done. And people's faith was stirred up from this. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same faith that was working in these men and women's lives is the same faith that is working in our lives today. In verse 13, it says, Then some of the itinerant, uh, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you. He says, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Uh, If I could say right off the bat from verse 13, this is a very, may I stress, bad idea. Very bad idea. Speaking to evil spirits and then furthermore commanding evil spirits when you don't have any power. No power. I mean, it blows me away. Like, even today, you'd think this might be, like, archaic, uh, barbaric, and, and something that would be historic, you know. But people today will dabble, delve into spiritism, witchcraft, wizardry, seances, channeling, fortune-telling, and a host of other evil spiritual things. I mean, it's just not the game. It's not the movie. It's, it's real life where people are dealing with these type of things, and, and they like the power. Whoa, that's beyond me. They like the power. But when you're dealing with demonic entities, they will allocate certain supernatural powers in order to control the person that is dealing with them. They'll entice that person and suck them into slavery. While the person who thinks they're controlling the spirit is actually being controlled themselves. Now, I uniquely, for some reason, I don't know why, dealt with demon-possessed individuals on a way too regular of a basis at my previous church. I don't know why. Uh, I had some things happen in my life that were pretty serious before my embarkment onto the sea of ministry. Now, just by way of disclaimer, if you're visiting here this morning, uh, and this is your first time, know that we teach through the entire Bible. And every week we do not talk about, like, demon possession and all this kind of stuff. So you might be here today and be like, whoa, not coming back next week, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, know that we teach through the Bible, and as we teach through the Bible, we cover all the topics, the ones that are nice and the ones that may not be so nice. But uh, I remember when I was, I was 20, or I was like 21 or 22 years old, and I... Uh, being the oldest of four, uh, my little brothers and I used to fight a lot. We, we kind of we got into, I mean, we're just good brothers. We like wrestling, but sometimes we knew how to bug each other. And some of you that have siblings, you kind of know the, the buttons to push that makes your brother or sister mad. You know, like that kind of thing. And uh, I was four, I'm four years older than my youngest brother and just about 15 years older than my, my, my sister. And then I'm two years older than my middle brother. So it's, uh, we're, uh, us brothers are about two years, three months apart. 
And I remember in college playing basketball, I'd come home and I was just exhausted. You know, you don't sleep too much in college. And then when you're doing sports a lot, it's, it's, it's hard and you're tired. And I had the room in the house that was the perfect room in the house for sleeping. Does anybody know what that room is? Yeah, it's the one where the sun doesn't hit it and it's dark and you have those blackout shades at the moment you go to sleep, like you can be sleeping for days and you don't even know that the sun has risen and gone down three times, uh, you know, since you entered your room, uh, that kind of room. And what my little brother used to like to do is as I was sleeping in bed, I I would fall asleep and he used to sneak into my room and crawl on the carpet by my bed. And then he would get next to my bed and go, ah, like that and scare the, you know, the the life out of me. You know, that's why I started sleeping with a baseball bat next to my bed. So I got it right there when he, when he came in. But one night, one night, um, I, I was, it was so dark. I was so exhausted. And, and, and I, and I hear the, you know, on the carpet, the, you know, uh, and I'm like, and I, I remember saying, come on, Brennan, not again, man, not again. Are you serious? And I sat up and in the pitch blackness of my room, there was this black shadow that was blacker than the blackness of my pitch black room. And the shh, shh, shh wasn't on the carpet. It was breathing over me. And it was the weirdest thing. And I know you're like, man, that is weird. I'm not coming back next week. You know, listen, uh, no, true. This is what happened is, 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 and, and it scared the living daylights out of me. Seriously. And uh, this huge shadow was breathing over my bed and my, I'm laying there in bed. And if you've ever been so scared that you almost feel paralyzed, well, my, my, my light was just like a reach away, you know? And, and I, I'm like, okay, just, just turn on the light. Just turn on the light. I remember thinking this, just turn on the light, turn on the light. And you would think that, you know, the 12 inches from my bed to my light was like the next Mission Impossible movie. You know, you're just like waiting for the dun, 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 dun. And I went and flipped the light on, turned my light on, and it was still there. Like this, like black smoke in my room. I know it sounds like something out of the lost or whatever. I'm not trying to be weird. But listen, I jumped out out of bed as fast as I could. I mean, Usain Bolt had nothing on me, man. I was blowing out of that room, hurtling over the couch. My mom and my uncle was visiting from Seattle. We're sitting at the kitchen table and I came running in and I was like, oh my, (sighs) you know, like this kind of thing. And I couldn't even talk. I was so scared. I was so, so frightened by, by this thing that I'd never experienced before. And, and I, I was so scared that I ended up having to sleep like three or four nights in my, my parents' bedroom. And I was like 22 years old. Uh, and actually, I don't know why I told you that in part. Uh, but uh, I, 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 I was so like, afraid. I was so scared because of this, uh, what I know was to, to be demonic that, that was uh, before I even got into ministry. Uh, at all, where it was meant to, to, to inflict fear. And, and I know that maybe, maybe you've had something like this, or maybe you haven't, but I'm telling you, true story, uh, that, that happened in my life. And so two years later, as I would go into a full-time occupational ministry at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, uh, it, it just got to the point where I would start to deal with these things like a lot. 
And uh, being the youngest guy on staff at, at Calvary, uh, I looked up to these guys kind of like my big brothers, you know. And um, every service, uh, or after every service, uh, all the guys would stand up, the pastors would stand up at the front. You know, I was a lot different back then. I used to wear a suit and tie. People used to say, that's the only time I looked like a pastor, really. Uh, it was when I stood up there. And I, I remember... Uh, this one gal came walking down and she um, said, can you pray for me? I have, um, I have an unclean spirit. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, that's what I thought. I was like, oh yeah, right. Okay. Okay. And I was like looking around, where's the candid camera? You know, if you guys don't know what that is, that's old school, but it's like, all right, who's, who's making fun of me, you know, and that kind of thing. And she, she started saying like, Hey, this is what happened and blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen, like, do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and savior? Because you cannot be possessed if you have Jesus and the Holy spirit living inside of your life. She couldn't tell me if she had Jesus in her life. And the more that I shared the gospel with her, she started like convulsing her eyes started rolling rolling back. And, 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 and the, and this voice came out of her that just said, I am an unclean spirit. And like, I was like, yes, you are. And I went and I grabbed like a couple of these guys, you know, the pastors. And I said, Hey, you know, and my heart was seriously was beating out of my chest. I mean, we could laugh about it, but I was, I was like, what in the world's going on? You know, I've only been a pastor for like two months. Like, how is this happening? You know, and, and why is she coming to me? You know, it's like, and like, what, what's going on? And so as we were praying for her, it's like, usually they tell you to, to close your eyes when you pray, but I was like, you know, like that. And kind of like in a fighting stance, too, just in case, you know. And, uh, and we were praying for her, and all these terrible things just started coming out of her mouth and snarling and all this kind of stuff where, where uh, you know, it's like we've been around. You know, we live in the world, but have never heard anything like that before. And so my hand was on her back. Her back was just like contorting and doing all this weird stuff. And then she just took off, and she ran. And she ran out before anything happened. And, and I was just like, you know, like adrenaline was pumping, but I'd never felt like the opposite of who I had inside that closely before. You know, when we go through our Christian life, it's, it's one of these things where it's like, yeah, I know that there's an evil, you know, and there's Satan out there, and there's demonic things that happen. I mean, we just got done with our four-part series on armoring up, and we remember that, and we were like, man, thank you, Lord, for the armor of God that covers us. But these things shake you up. They really do. And I remember... Um, a couple weeks later, the same woman showed up to church, and there's like 10 of us lined up, and it's like, I have like a homing beacon on me, and I'm like, and it's like, oh, look at all these guys I can go and pray with, and I was like, you know, I'm like, ah, hey, guys, and then everybody leaves. They all leave, and I'm like, guys, hey, Hey, you know, like trying to flag him down or whatever. And it's just me by myself up there. And, and, uh, and she's like, Hey, I need to get prayer for my aunts. And I was like, like, what, what do you mean you need to get prayer for your aunts? And she's like, can you just, and she's just having a normal conversation with me. I said, okay, um, well, let's, let's pray for your aunt then, you know? And, uh, and so we started praying. I started praying for her and then she started interrupting me. Like every time I'd start to pray, like she just kept interrupting me over and over and over again. Now, when we pray as a, as a family, as a body of Christ, there's a way of agreeing in prayer. Like when somebody's praying and you're like, yes, Lord, we agree with that. But I'm not saying yes, Lord, louder than the person that's praying. You know, when somebody's praying, you're going like, yes, yes, Lord, yeah, you know, all this kind of stuff because it's an interruption. And, and, and so when, when she kept doing this over and over again, as we're trying to pray for her aunt, the Lord spoke to me and just said, I'm not the author of confusion. And I was like, you know, that's absolutely true. God doesn't interrupt himself. 
And so I said, stop. I said, stop right now. I said, we're going to pray. I said, God's not the author of confusion, and we're going to pray right now. And I said, Lord, we know that you're not the author of confusion. And so, Lord, I ask that you would bind the enemy from causing confusion. And the moment that I said that, this voice came out of her that said, don't you pray to bind me. I was like, hey, ah! you know, like, you know, like that kind of thing again. And she starts saying all this kind of crazy stuff. And I just said, the Lord, in the name of Jesus, I command you to be silent. And her mouth shut like a trap. Like it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life where literally the, the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, I command you to be quiet. And it was like, like mouth shut. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Like, I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing with this? And, and then she just ran again and she took off. And I'm left there, like just like my heart beating out of my chest and I'm sweating, you know? It's like, I need to go home and, and get like a new shirt on, you know? I was like, like this tie is this really tight right now, you know? Like, like that kind of thing. And, and then of course, it's like, how am I going to explain this to everybody else? Oh yeah, sure, man, that's right. I'm like, you guys think I'm going to make up these kind of stories? You think I'm twisted? You know, like what's going on? And, and it got to the point where this kind of thing started happening over and over and over again. I would drive home after service one night, teaching Monday night. My normal, uh, that we lived in a gated community at the time. The normal guard that was at the gate wasn't there. It was some other guy. And he's like, hey, man, can I just talk to you for a second? I'm like, I mean, usually it's just like, you know, and you keep driving, you know. And I'm like, how many times is the guy like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yeah, we were playing with these Ouija boards the other night. And, uh, and we had these candles lit and all this stuff happening. And then this crazy stuff started happening in our room. And now it's like I feel like something's attached itself to me. And I don't know what it is. I'm having nightmares and all this other crazy stuff. My friends are seeing, like, weird things, you know, and all this kind of thing. And I'm going, you got to be kidding me, you know? And, and so I ended up being able to lead him to Jesus right there in his, in his guard shack, which was absolutely rad, and he gave his life to the Lord, and he didn't have any more problems with that. But it started getting to the point where I was battling with fear, with fear. Like, I remember specifically laying in bed at night trying to sleep, and, and with that woman, and with this other this stuff, and, and just your own mind, and, and then having bad dreams about this kind of thing, where I felt like fear was like circling my heart trying to like grip it, grip it. And I'm like, Lord, please, I know that, that you're greater, Lord. I know that, that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, Lord. I know that you've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. God, please help me because I was just getting my clock cleaned like majorly. And at that very moment, it dissipated and it was gone. And that fear that was trying to grip my heart was, was removed. And little did I know that this was all preparation for what would happen the next six years, seven years, eight years of being at the church and dealing with, with, with witches, uh, dealing with, with, with people practicing, you know, witchcraft and that, you know, we're, we're possessed. Like, I mean, I would come into church on my day off where I'm not even supposed to be there to be met by this one little gal who's like five foot with bulging eyes and just like going crazy, ah, you know, and all this thing. And I'm like, 
It's my day off. I'm not even supposed to be here today. I left something in my office and then somebody's waiting for me, you know, right outside my door. And, and, and then, you know, I'd be sitting, you know, working a random shift of answering the phone calls in the front office. And, and then some lady just walks in and I'm not even supposed to be there. Hi, I need to speak to somebody about demon possession. I just got up and said, hi, my name's Garrett. It's nice to meet you. You know, uh, what, can I, what can I help you with? You know, and uh, we had uh, two gals show up on, on Monday night my team's like, you got to come in the back here to the prayer room. These, there's something really crazy going on here. I walk in and these two girls are like communicating telepathically, it would seem, you know, because they're like smirking and laughing and then like la, 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 back. And I'm like, these two need to be separated. And, uh, and so we end up praying for this girl. Her eyes start rolling back in her head. She starts convulsing. You know, and, and so one of our gals, Sarah, is holding her head. And I'm like, in the name of Jesus, I command you to look at me. Her eyes just like tractor beams, like huge egg white, dilated pupils just staring right in my eyes. And, uh, and I said, okay, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. Because her friends who brought her said that, you know, she'd been dealing with witchcraft and drugs and Satan worship and all this gnarly stuff. She showed up here tonight. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And she just smirked and she shook her head and she said no. I was like, wait a second. That's not in the pastor's training manual. You know, what, 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 what's going on here? And the Lord spoke to me that some don't come out but by prayer and fasting. And so we fasted that day, or that night, and she came back the evening with her friend that brought her uh, about five or so the following day. Our whole team, we prayed, we fasted. And uh, they said, yeah, earlier this day we prayed for her because she started going into a convulsion. We were talking about Jesus. And uh, this voice came out of her and said, you can't have her. She's mine. And she's been mine since she was a little girl, and I'm not letting anybody have her. And come to find out that she was at least second generation, if not third generation, uh, 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 born into witchcraft. Where they're doing seances at 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 an early age and and being given over to that kind of thing. And that later that day when we were praying for her, she'd immediately go into a convulsion. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to look at me. And her eyes just right there stared right into my eyes. And I didn't get the crucifix and you know, like that kind of thing, or sprinkle her with anything. It was just very, very calmly. I said, it's time for you to go now. And she nodded her head. She passed out. She woke up, and she was crying. She's like, please, please help me. What's going on? And I said, you need to give your life to Jesus right now. And we were able to lead her in receiving Jesus as her Lord and Savior, and she was absolutely fine and left giving everybody hugs and saying, thank you so much. I mean, it's the power of God that changes. It's the power of God that saves. And so as, as time went on, and, and this happened over and over again, I asked myself, I was like, Lord, I asked myself, why is this happening to me? And I said, Lord, you know, what is this all about? And the Lord really showed me that this was about his love for these people that are captive by something that's greater than them. And the whole time where you felt like you should be absolutely fearful, I felt that the Lord supernaturally at those exact times given me a supernatural love. And we know that perfect love casts away all fear, even as if you know, your son was playing in the street and a truck was barreling down and you ran in the middle of the street to grab him. You weren't thinking about getting hit by the truck yourself because you were more concerned with your son being okay. Perfect love drove away all fear. And I feel that that's what the Lord gives us with the power of the Holy Spirit, that love that overcomes fear.
And so, as the years went on, and things started happening, like I mentioned, over and over again, where, you know, people, a woman comes to my office, I'm Jesus Christ incarnate, and then, you know, all this stuff starts cursing the moment I say, you need Jesus, and, and then this person sits and waits for me specifically, and says, you know, what I, you know what's going on with me, and I'm like, oh boy. The moment I start to say Jesus, starts cursing and flipping out and, and convulsing and all this stuff, and I'm like, man, what church am I at here? You know, like, what's going on? But it was the Lord brought those people so that his spirit could set them free because he loves them and he's concerned with them. And if you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you don't have to be afraid of any of that stuff. It might be unpleasant. You don't sign up for it. But you know that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. See, Paul, here in Ephesus, was in a culture that was extremely superstitious. Extremely superstitious. Practicing the occult. I mean, there were spells for this and potions for that. And they were heavily involved in spiritism. And these men, these itinerant Jewish exorcists, had a form of godliness. A form of godliness, but they were frauds. I don't know if you remember 10 years ago or so, there was that movie with Matt Damon called The Brothers Grimm. And, you know, in his British accent, he comes to the, to the village and says, we're, we're here to rid your land of evil enchantments, you know, or whatever it might be. Um, these men were frauds thinking that they could deal with spiritual things in their own power. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the, or to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were also seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. They're third party on this deal. You don't want to be removed from Jesus at all. And the Spirit answered and said, in verse 15, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit, verse 16, was, leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. There are supernatural abilities and powers that have been attributed to those who are possessed by evil spirits. These guys, these guys who didn't know Jesus, didn't have the power and furthermore, didn't stand a chance. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, from the New Living Translation, it says this, People will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They will act religious, but reject the power. This is case in point for the seven sons of Sceva. Hey, we adjure you by the Paul whom, uh, or by Jesus whom Paul preaches. They didn't know Jesus personally, nor were they filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the power of Jesus is greater than anything. Anything. And greater is he who is in us through faith in Jesus in us, the power of the Holy Spirit, than he who is in the world. We do not want to enter into a spiritual battle or even deal with this kind of a thing in our own strength. Like, yeah, you know, that Jesus that that grandma prays to. Or, you know, know, that God that, that, that my aunt worships. No, you better know. See, we have the power through the Holy Spirit over the demonic realm. We do, you do, I do through faith in Jesus. That might give cause to rejoicing a little bit, but in Luke chapter 10, Jesus, after... He sent out 70 disciples. 
It says, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall, all, shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, he says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Man, we might be like, yeah, woohoo, the name of Jesus, you know, and, and there's power in that name, and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. However, Jesus says, hey, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They're written in heaven. They're written in heaven. Your name is written in that book because of your faith in Jesus. You can rejoice in that. You can rejoice in that. And so these men that were not powered with the Spirit went running out of the house, bruised, beaten, naked. You know, one guy took on seven brothers and just thrashed them. And it says in verse 17, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Uh, guys, I don't think the little potions are going to cut it. Uh, I don't think the magic spells are really going to work anymore. There's a real power. There is a real power. The name of the Lord Jesus was magnified even with the seven sons of Sceva. People saw that and they're like, man, I need the power of Jesus in my life. Because look what happens when you don't have it. I want the power of the Holy Spirit not only in me but upon me. I want to do great things in the name of the Lord. I want to be who God has created me to be because they don't have it. And it says in verse 18, this superstitious community practicing all sorts of hocus pocus. And we think sometimes that that's just a joke because we watch Harry Potter or we see some wizard on a Disney movie as if it's innocent and all right. But there's a real, real power that is out there and it's evil, but God's power is greater. But these that practice such things, it says, when they believed, they came confessing in verse 18 and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who practice magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Amen to that. Amen to that. And you can give a round of applause for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the word of the Lord grows mightily and it prevails. It prevails. It's greater. It doesn't matter what it is. It is greater. And so that's what we need to be reminded of today. As we see magic books ablaze of these people that were the furthest away from God, practicing all sorts of spiritual uh, things that they shouldn't be dabbling in, using potions and spells and all this kind of stuff, threw those books on the fire heap and said, I only need one book, and that's the Word of God. And there's only one God, and He sent His only Son, Jesus, and that's in whom I believe, and that's whom I put my faith, and that's whom I'm empowered by. So as you go forth this day, know who you are in Jesus. Don't harden your hearts as those did that we read earlier in our study this morning, where they hardened their hearts. They heard the truth and they rejected it. Believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Know who you are in Christ and go forward, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
Empowered to do what God has called you to do, to be victorious over sin, to feel the joy of knowing and serving the one and true living God because he loves you, he's concerned with you, and he is with you, and he'll never leave you, and he'll never forsake you, and thus you can say, I will fear not.